After years of helping online businesses make more money by advising them on their taxes and finances, I've now made it my mission to reach as many profitable online businesses as possible to help them save on their taxes and make more money. On my quest, I bring you proven and real profitable online business owners, and we dig into how they do it. Hello again. Thanks for being here on the Few, the Proud, the Profitable. This is the podcast where we talk exclusively to six and seven figure online business owners. We know that in this space, there's a lot of people who exaggerate, who inflate their successes. So what we do here is we take the guesswork out of it for you. We only talk to people that we have personally vetted, that we know are legit and really making money online. So today we've got one of those, Michael McCormick. Thanks for being here, buddy. What's up, Mike? How you doing, brother? Good to see you. Doing good. Really excited to do this because, one, you're a lot of fun to talk to in general, but two, <laughs> what you do is in a, you succeed in a space where a lot of people fail. So first question, what we always ask everybody is just tell us who you are, what do you do? So yeah, just get into that. Sure. Uh, my name is Mike McCormick. I am a consultant to the insurance industry. Uh, I own a number of businesses, all uh, tailored and catered towards insurance agents and the insurance industry. Uh, been in business with what we're doing right now for uh, about four years at this point. Uh, we own the largest uh, community on Facebook for the industry as well. We actually just hit the 29,000 member mark literally today, about a half nice. hour since we dropped on here today. Uh, which is pretty cool. And uh, basically, uh, I get paid to listen to an industry bitch and moan and create solutions for them. That is what I do in a nutshell. So. But no, I mean, I think that's super cool because I don't know how many people I've known who have either gone in and become insurance agents and you almost have to put air quotes on that because they did it for <laughs> all, of, all of a month or they've toyed around with the idea of it because on its face, not really knowing anything about it, it's really easy to think that it's easy. And you look at, oh man, if I sell a, a policy for this much, I get this much commission. And it, people think it's easy money, not realizing just how insanely competitive that space is. And how I'd say, you probably have a better stat on this than I would, but my guess is it's gotta be 80, 90% of agents bomb out. It's gotta be a crazy high percentage. Well, one of the uh, one of the conferences that we have a pretty big role in. Actually, I've got this hanging up here, uh, and now this is going to seem like it was planned, but it definitely wasn't. Uh, one of one of one of the uh, conferences that we participate in each and every year is a conference called Eight Percent Nation, and Eight Percent Nation is known as Eight Percent Nation because ninety-two uh, percent of insurance agents fail in their first uh, thirty-six months. So that's crazy. You know, you want to be part of the 8% nation. You want to be part of that 8% that weather the storm and come out the other side with a successful business that can grow for the life of your career. But, uh, but you're, you're hundred percent correct. There's a lot of failure in the industry. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I think I just was saying this. I feel like a lot of what can attract people to the insurance business is the same thing that attracts people to online business. Oh Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you know, just the same way, you know, you, you scroll through your, your Facebook news feed and you get nothing but people saying, have a seven figure agency within yeah. the next 12 hours. You get the same, <laughs> exact, <laughs> you get the exact same thing going on in the insurance world. Uh, you know, most insurance agents, myself included, when I was, uh, when I was naive and, and, and new to all of it, you know, you think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to hang a fancy sign outside my door. Mm -hmm. says insurance on it and I'm going to get loud about it on social media and I'm going to be rich. It's going to be amazing. Right. And, uh, you know, to your point, it is as competitive a space as there is. Uh, I mean, I don't know that there is another niche out there that is advertised nearly as heavily as insurance. I mean, you can't mm -hmm. watch TV, radio, social media. You can't even go to your little kid's uh, little league game without yeah. seeing a local agent plastered on the left field wall. Uh, it, it, it's tremendously competitive, yet there is this uh, this misconception that everybody who's in the field is is Daddy Warbucks, and you know it's a it's something that if you if you got the guts to jump into, you're going to come out the other side a winner. And, and generally speaking, most of the time, most in most cases, you, you you don't wind up a winner in this industry. Well, yeah, and it, it's interesting too because of I think it all goes to what people are portraying online the way, same way that you said, where people put this really 
beautiful face on. They look, they think that it's going to be, they, they talk about how easy it is. It's almost the same way that because you're wanting to project success out there, the way that MLMs do, the way a lot of businesses, that the misconception becomes that this is going to be easy, that you're going to be able to look at how successful I am. You can be the same way too. So what do you think one of the, since there are so many parallels between insurance and online, I think in terms of barriers to, barriers to success competitiveness, and this is what I was going to say that I forgot, I just remembered, is that I think insurance is difficult too, and this again goes to online being an internet marketer, is that if you want to be a CPA, for good or for bad, not like that's the hardest job in the world, there's specific things, stepping stones that you have to take. You go to school for accounting. You take these stupidly difficult tests. You, you get licensed. For insurance, you see this with financial advisors too. There are so many different pathways to get to that same career. Mm -hmm. And doesn't doesn't mean you're good at it. Doesn't mean you're qualified. But I think because the barrier to entry at the very bottom level is pretty easy, it attracts so many people who aren't properly prepared to succeed in it. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. We can compare the digital space to the insurance space on that. The digital space, lowest common denominator, who are they advertising to? Literally anybody with a pulse that responds to an ad that they're seeing online. Yeah. I, I mean, jump the ship even further. Let's move over to LinkedIn where you've got people who are proclaimed digital marketers mm -hmm. who aren't even running ads to pick up their digital clients. They're spamming inboxes. Yeah. Now, now, flip, now flip that on, on, on over to the insurance world. You've got the exact same thing going on where you've just got a tremendous amount of recruiting going on. It doesn't matter what industry you came from. Uh, you know, if you're willing to give insurance a shot, the industry is willing to give you a shot. Sure. And, and, and that's the God's honest truth. And you see that across a number of companies, uh, you know, both on the independent side and the captive side. And what winds up happening, is, and it definitely adds to the fail rate, the failure rate of the industry, is anyone that, like I said, wants to give it a try, has the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the reason that the industry, generally speaking, is okay with that is like, let's say, for example, you wake up this morning and decide that you want to hop into the insurance industry. The insurance industry doesn't give two shits about whether or not you're going to succeed or not. All they care about is, wow, Micah, Micah's probably got 50 to 150, maybe mm -hmm. even 200 people yeah. in his life that he can get yeah. to, to write a policy through our company real quick. If he crashes and burns after that, who cares? But let's snatch up everyone in Micah's family while he's still while he's got while he's got a, an interest in the industry. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, very very similar so far as the people at the top that are making money are making it seem like it's easy peasy lemon squeezy, not giving two flying you know what's as to whether or not the person that's actually uh, putting their trust in them is yeah. going to actually become successful or not. Well, it's funny. It in, you spoke to this that how heavily recruited it is. I can't think of the number of times when some, and sometimes it, it's people who haven't had a ton of achievement in their lives. And the fact that they get recruited is almost enough. Like I got recruited for this job. They want me to be a financial advisor. They want me to sell insurance. And I, I, get, I, get, I, got a, I got a funny personal story about that. But, but it's just funny because it goes to, and I want to hear that story. But it goes to exactly what you said, that what financial advisors, New York Life, regular life insurance, they care about your close friends and family because they know they're going to try and support you. You're going to be spamming them trying to survive because you need to sell to them. You don't need to, but your survival is at least kept alive for a couple more months if you're doing that and then you're locked into a whole life your your mom is locked into this whole life policy for the next 30 years for a job <laughs> that you were able to keep for two months right right yeah it's uh it's unfortunately rampant uh but it's it's the nature of the beast here i remember when uh when i first actually moved in the industry I was working in, uh, I was working in private banking at the time. Uh, you know, when I started my career, I was in mortgages when everything started to hit the, uh, the proverbial fan back in 07, 08, I jumped into the, into retail banking to get out of mortgage lending, uh, not really knowing, you know, what direction my career was going to go in and all that. 
and I, I became a branch manager and eventually I got recruited from one bank, uh, out of one bank into another one to, to be part of their private banking. Long story short, I got a really bad boss that would give me agita every time I saw his, uh, his car in my parking lot. And I decided to put, you know, make my resume active on a couple of different sites. Well, let me tell you, there is no one more popular on a employment board than someone with a little bit of banking and mortgage background with some financial services licensing. Every single insurance company under the sun was obviously, you know, banging on my door looking for me to come sell life insurance. Until one day, I got a, uh, a very special request to not sell insurance, but to own and run my own agency and how prestigious and luxurious and, yeah. you know, all, you know all, all, all the great adjectives that go along with that, uh, you know, it, it, and it just hit me between the eyes and it was like, wow, because, you know, I mean, you and I have known each other now for a couple of years, mm -hmm. you know, I have always had that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and fire and energy and and all that, and my entire career, when I was working on the corporate side of things, I was feeling stymied, and I was feeling uh, I was feeling uh, repressed, and I was feeling like every time I wanted to bring my my take on things or or how I'd I'd do something, to right. the table, I was pretty much told to fall back in line and be a good soldier. If they wanted a general, they would have told me I was a general, uh, and 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 that was just the way it was. So when I got that invite to own my own agency, it was like, wow, I can I can be a business owner. It's not all that different than what I've been doing. I've been doing insurance on the, on the retirement planning side for a bit right now. I've been working with the public now for a while. This really falls right on my wheelhouse. And then, you know, you learn that A, it's not easy. And, and B, even though you're told you're a business owner, there's a whole bunch of restrictions that kind of defy the logic of what being a business owner really is. Yeah. So, yeah, Absolutely. So I'm, I'm curious because we've talked about the high failure rate and all, what do you think one of the bigger, and I know this is an oversimplification because y'all deal with, I'm sure in your consulting, you're dealing with a thousand different factors of things you need to consider. Sure. But if you were to try to distill it down to what you think a big differentiating factor is, what would that be of the ones who succeed versus the ones who just bomb out? I think the, and that I, could be too broad. I, I know it's, it's it's broad for sure. I think one of the biggest problems that my industry faces uh, is you know, there, there's two models within the insurance industry. There's a captive model, which you know you have all the support in the world behind you. You got the big company name. You got yeah. the training, the trainers, the the corporate uh, backing, all that kind of stuff. And then you've got the independent world where you're able to represent as many carriers as are willing to allow you to write insurance and you don't really get as much support. You don't get any training. You don't get any backing. And each one of them comes with their own set of problems. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, on, on the captive side, generally speaking, most people fail because the captive companies set an unrealistic expectation of what you're going to need to do to be successful. So there is a one of the larger companies out there in the insurance world on the PNC side that literally tells agents, you will get your contract if you perform at this level, not letting them know that if you perform at this level, no one in your house is going to eat. Yeah. So they set this expectation for the agent that if I just go out and do this tiny little bit of work that the mothership is going to shine down on me and like this is what is needed to be successful. When the reality is they set that bar so low so that any Tom, Dick or Harry can clear it. And the reality is just because you've cleared that, you know, that, that hurdle doesn't mean that you're going to come anywhere close to even finishing the race, nevertheless winning the race. Yeah. So uh, on the independent side, you've got a, a little bit of a different problem on the independent side. You've got just a complete lack of training resources, uh, you know, really good direction, so a lot of those guys ultimately fail because they open up an insurance agency, look in the mirror and go, now what? And mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't have anyone that can answer that question for them. Well, and that's interesting you bring that up because it, anecdotally, it seemed to me that the guys who are captive agents have more disadvantages because you're stuck selling this. You don't have the price flexibility. You don't necessarily even have the same policy flexibility. Independent guys in theory at least have this inherent advantage over the captive guys, but I've seen more of the independent guys go belly up and faster than I've seen the captive agents, which to me has always been 
a little bit surprising given the given that inherent advantage and disadvantage yeah so my general rule of thumb to people when they're joining the industry is train captive and then when you know what you're doing go be yeah. your own boss because you're never your own boss when you're captive when you're working for the companies that you see advertising with the big bucks on television even when they tell you that you own an agency at the end of the day if you're not the one making all the decisions within the four walls of your business, are you really the owner? No, you're yeah. not. So, uh, you know, generally speaking, what I recommend is that you start off on that captive world. Take those real big names that are sinking those marketing dollars into making sure that their names are known. Take all the training they're willing to give you. Get the industry experience that you need. You know, learn how to sell the, the policies and the products and services utilizing only one carrier because... You know, you're, no, one, no one really understands how the sausage is made quite like the sausage manufacturer, right? So right. when you're working for the sausage manufacturer, you have a real good idea of everything that's, that, that's taking place going on behind the scenes to make the sausage. You know, once you've mastered that, once you've got a good grip on that, at that point you can jump from the captive side over to the independent side and you've got a good idea of what's going on behind the scenes at most of these companies and the learning curve is just significantly less steep with that knowledge behind you. So, uh, I mean, generally speaking, I feel as if the captive side of the market is a tremendous place to cut your teeth. It's mm -hmm. also a tremendous place for people who think they want to be business owners, but don't realize the true responsibility yeah. of being a business owner that want that guidance, want that support, want that person in their corner. Uh, the independent side of the business is far superior. Once you cut your teeth, if you aren't looking for the management and the and the compliance and all that kind of stuff, but uh, generally speaking, if you're if you're new to the industry and you open up your own independent agency without any kind of guidance, you're going to fall on your face because you don't know what you're doing. Well, it makes perfect sense. It's almost like not a perfect analogy, but it's almost like you got training wheels on at the beginning yeah. with the, with the captive side keeps sure. you from falling too hard, and then once you actually really know what you're doing then you can transition over and yeah, what's interesting to me is on the captive side too and this probably goes to what you're saying is one if you want to go truly entrepreneurial and once you know what you're doing to move over is that I don't think some people realize that they have service and servicing agent contracts when they're certain captive brokers they have it to where once they leave, they can't even sell their book to another agent within that firm. It's once they walk away, they're gone. So it's not even like you have a saleable asset the way you do with most businesses. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, funny enough, the recruiting process for most of the companies that have contracts set up like that just happen to do most of their fishing outside of the insurance industry pond. They're, you know, getting people who are naive to the way the actual industry works to come join the industry unbeknownst to them that they're getting, you know, the world's shittiest contract. Uh, but that is, uh, I guess that's part of the game. So. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. Yeah. All right. So second question is what's the best thing about having a profitable online business at the outset, we talked about how many people are pretenders and act like they're having one, but what's the, thing, the best thing about actually having a truly profitable business? The best part, I guess I should probably wait until I have a profitable business, right? Uh, no, nah. uh, the, the, the best part about having a profitable business is the freedom. I, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, despite the fact that I work with insurance agents on a daily basis, despite the fact that I'm heavily involved with marketing and automation and a number of other things on a daily basis, it does not matter where I am, who I'm with. As long as I've got a piece of technology that can get me connected to the internet, I am able to perform at a high at a high level for my uh, you know for all my functions, and you know still maintain a uh, you know a nice healthy bank account. So, uh, you know, I mean, th those would probably be the the main things. You know, a lot of people think that uh, think that it's it's all about the money, uh, you know, because that's the the main the main pain point or selling selling mm -hmm. point or whatever that you see on all the ads about grown agency whether it's a ad agency or or an insurance agency grown agency you'll be rich uh for me and i think for most it's really more about the freedom like i have not missed a soccer game i have not missed a, a, yeah. about, a, about, a you know a dance recital i have not missed a holiday i have not missed anything for any of my kids 
literally mm-hmm. ever. And that includes any kind of travel that I have. You know, if something, if, if, if I've got a trip planned and something pops up for one of my kids on this, at the same time that I've got a trip planned, well, the only boss I consult is the man in the mirror. So I, I can move those trips around. So yeah. I literally miss nothing. And, and the freedom above all is by far the best part about owning a, a, a profitable online business. Yeah. I mean, the, the money is the sexier thing to, to talk about. And that's why I think a lot of the, a lot of the ads are centered around this luxurious lifestyle. Sure. But I've known clients where they've gone away from at least initially and sometimes long-term they've gone away from more lucrative careers, but they were working 80, a hundred something hours a week. And a lot of on, online entrepreneurs still work a lot, but even if it's the same number of hours, the ability to do it when they want to makes such a huge difference versus you go in, if you've got some really high powered job, you're there at six in the morning and you leave at eight at night and you're there the whole time and can't get away for a soccer game or dinner or whatever it is that's important to you. So, um, when I first graduated college, I jumped into the mortgage industry. I jumped into the mortgage industry because I was told that it was easy and it was big money. You know, all the right, all the right reasons to join an yeah. industry, right? And I, w- I came out and by 23 years old, I was making a quarter million dollars and I was doing even better over the next couple of years. And when everything started hitting the proverbial fan uh, back in 07, we were really nervous about all of it. My wife was like, maybe you should get out of the industry, maybe move into something a little more conservative. Da, 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 da. I moved from you know a nice six-figure position to the retail side of banking where I went from making a quarter million dollars or better each and every uh, each and every year, pretty much with my eyes closed, to not even like barely touching six figures. And mm-hmm. from there, I got recruited into private banking where I was going to be getting a little bit closer to the money that I used to, uh, to that I used to earn. So without even thinking twice about it, I jumped at it. Wound up, like I mentioned a little bit earlier on this, with the worst boss I've ever had in my entire life, which was the biggest wake-up call I've ever had in my career. Mm-hmm. I realized that it did not matter the kind of money I was making because I went into work anxious and angry every single day. So mm-hmm. ultimately, that's what led to me putting my my resume out there and me getting pulled into the insurance industry wasn't because I had this you know, passion for insurance. It was because I needed to get the hell out of private banking. Uh, and actually I needed to get the hell away from my boss. And uh, I went into insurance and when you are brand new in insurance, you are not just not making a lot of money. You are broke and spending money that you don't have. So mm-hmm. like, you know, you're opening up an agency, what's funding the payroll? Your savings. What's funding yeah. the marketing? your savings. What's funding the lights? What's funding the four walls around you? Your savings. And oh, by the way, all that business that you're writing right now, you've also got to give the commissions back out to your team. And like there is, yeah. the profitability is very, very low early on a, in a scratch insurance agency. So my career, I actually went from making nice money to running away from shitty situations as my money went, as my income went down. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got to the point where I was like, you know what, F it, I am going to follow my passion. I'm going to follow what I love doing. And I'm going to just, just see what it turns into that my career blossomed into what it's blossomed into today and knock on wood, that's not even wood, but knock on, knock on wood, uh, I made the right decision and I'm able to carry this for the next 40 years. So far, you know, the first four yeah. years have been a, a real blessing, but, uh, well, I had, I had a similar experience because I worked in corporate America had an okay boss, then got got promoted to a different position in department and just ended up in this absolutely miserable situation. It was, I think I had, I applied to jobs because I'm like, I get, I get same thing as you. I got to get away from this. And I applied to jobs and I think like 80 different countries. I was so miserable oh, that I was so miserable that I thought I needed to leave. Not only this job, <laughs> not only the county, not only this, I need to get out of the country wow. to go somewhere else. And then that was really what same as you, what pushed me over the edge. I, I was making okay money, but I was like, this is miserable. I'm not doing this again. And I don't care if I make 20 grand a year. I don't care if I make just enough to subsist off ramen. The 
having the flexibility to not have some douchebag giving me sleepless nights, stress, heart palpitations, what not giving me all this. I'm not going to have someone else have their, my future in their very mercurial and in their, their hands when they, they can be so easily changeable. Dude, with a, with a six figure salary at my back, a baby, a wife, and another baby on the way. This is going back to 2010 or 11. No, I'm sorry. 13. Uh, with a wife, a kid, another baby on the way, and six, fig- and, and six figure money, John Zaya was a big enough reason for me to be like, I'm out. I don't care what happens. I'll figure it out. My family, yeah. uh, they're going to be pissed. Uh, my bank account is definitely gonna be pissed, uh, but I'm gonna figure it out because I'm not coming to work every single day and getting that mm-hmm. feeling in my stomach every time I see his car in the parking lot, or you know, wanting to go home every time the phone rings and I see it's his number. Yeah. So it just wasn't. Uh, it's just money. Money's not enough. And no. almost every successful online entrepreneur that that I'm personally friends with uh, that I've got in my circle nine out of 10 of them, if not 99 out of a hundred of them will tell you the exact same thing. Oh yeah. There's, you can't put a price on quality of life. And if what you're looking for is money, there've been different studies where they, and the figure seems to change, but it's like, cause they don't really take cost of living into account of the area you live in, but you'll hear the number that can be like 70, $80,000 where once you're hit getting there and reach that you you don't worry about the necessities as much. So there's this big marginal utility you get from getting that money. But once you get to that point and maybe a little higher, if you live in a higher cost of living area, it really, it plateaus so hard to where you're going to get bored. That money that you're getting isn't going to be giving you any real additional happiness and because it's just your new normal. So if that's all you're after, you're going to, you're really going to be in for a rude awakening once you hit that. Dude, I'm I'm not a car guy. I'm not a gadget guy. I'm not a jewelry guy. I'm like, I don't even know where this shirt's from. It's probably it's probably this might even be a, a twelve dollar shirt. There's a good right. chance that it is. Like, it's like nothing. Nothing that I have achieved has changed my lifestyle or, or changed my happiness quotient, if that's mm-hmm. even really a thing at all. Yeah. So. Well, and it's always funny that you say it because, yeah, it's at all because you get whatever you get becomes the, the new normal. And this goes to I'm not one of these manifesting people or these mindset coaches to where this is where, what you focus on. But I can point to any sort of professional accolade I've gotten. I want to get to this much in billings, this much in profitability. I want to win this award. If I can get I like being cited in different magazines. If I can get cited in this publication, whatever it is, we've done this stuff and it's like, man, that's awesome. Can't believe we did that. Then it's like the next day. It's like, okay, what next? Yep. yep. It's, it's, it's never sustainable. Well, you know, it's, it's funny in my, uh, in my community that my, my business partner and I host, uh, I actually just had a post about this, not even, not even a couple of weeks ago where you know, over the last couple of, uh, you know, call it two and a half years or so, we've been pretty fortunate to be invited to speak on stage with some people far more well-known than us, far more popular than us, far more successful than us. You know, uh, actually this time last year, we shared a stage with Grant Cardone. Back in January, Gary Vee invited us to speak at his event down in Miami. Wow. Uh, we, just, we just shared a stage with, uh, with Jeffrey Gittimer out in Colorado. Uh, got an event next summer that we were just invited to speak at uh, to share the stage with the the Wolf of Wall Street. And, you know, like none of these opportunities were have been anything more than just a, a day of excitement. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. like I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think about it before and I don't think about it after. Like I think about it while it's going on. Like, holy shit, this is a really cool, you know, this is a really mm-hmm. cool day. Like, you know, like, the stage that I spoke on at 11 o'clock, you know, one of the, one of the greatest sales trainers of our generation is, you know, going to be up there at four o'clock. That's, that's pretty cool. But 99 out of a hundred cool things that we got going on in, in, in our world, we're not even thinking twice about it except for the exact moment that it's happening. So, yeah. uh, 
you know, the, the, the same, the same goes for all the material stuff as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I don't know anyone who went out and spent and maybe, and maybe it's just cause it's my circle or whatever, but I don't know anyone who went out and spent six figures plus on a car that's still riding that high 18 months later. That still gets yeah. in that car no. every morning. Like, Oh, I'm in such a great mood. Cause I got this awesome car. No, like <laughs> that high ran out a long time ago. I'd be surprised if it lasted three months. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. So cool. And this goes to a little bit of what we were talking about before, but third question that we usually ask people is one of the things that we hear can be a real challenge for online business owners. What we deal with a lot with our clients is cash flow. So we, when we were talking earlier, we talked about how you've got a very successful business. Now you started off at the one bookend with your job of making a bunch of money. And then you had the, the struggles of getting started. So at different stages with the business, how have you managed that? Uh, well, we've been very fortunate to have jumped into a niche that was uh, a blue ocean and B uh, didn't really require a lot of overhead to yeah. get up off the ground. So between insurance and digital marketing being the two main areas that, uh, you know, that, that we, you know, help people, uh, you know, digital, digital marketing, there's literally no overhead and insurance. If you are willing to operate from a home office or from an inexpensive office and run lean and mean, again, you don't really need uh, all that much to get things off the ground. If I had to open up a, a physical, tangible walk in the door business, I think I would have a very different story to share than the one that I'm able to share today. My business partner and I, we joke around all the time about how like if people were able to walk into our store, like it was like a real storefront, like behind the counter, everything would be on fire. Like everything would just be on fire and everyone would be like, why is everything on fire? Cause that's how our business operates, but you just don't see it because we're yeah. in online business. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we were for, we were very fortunate to be blue ocean uh, at a time where there was a real need in our niche. I don't think that it could be duplicated again today by us or by anybody. But uh, I think the, the main reason that uh, we were able to get off to such a white hot start was because of those two factors, no inventory and uh, it was blue ocean. Yeah, absolutely. And that, as you've grown, I don't know what the staff situation looks like, but you've, you have to have had more expenses coming in and I, you've got good margin, but how have you accounted for that? Because as you're scaling, you've obviously just got more stuff. You're still having to, even it, if you've got amazing margins planned for at least. It, it's probably one of our, if not currently still our biggest weakness is that we have run ridiculously lean. And I used to say lean and mean, but uh, we're actually at a point right now where I'm starting to re regret not having it reinvested into the business more a yeah. couple of years ago. Um, you know, I mean, at, at this point, we've got four people that work for us, and we've got a total of six businesses under our under right, our. That's uh, pretty. That's yeah. pretty lame. Yeah. So uh, and and uh, and one we've got six businesses, and as of right now. One is a seven-figure business, and three of them are six-figure businesses. So uh, we have been running extremely lean and mean. We're at a point right now where we are bringing people on, and we understand that. But uh, yeah, I mean, we definitely fell on our face with that, and uh, you know, it's something that we are evolving towards solving and evolving towards uh, getting past. Well, yeah, I mean, falling on your face is way way too harsh because that that indicates some kind of failure because especially for an on, an online type or especially for a growing business i should say i don't know that you ever time any sort of reinvestment is never perfect timing let alone staff because those are things where they're for accounting they talk about them being step variable costs where it's like you have this yeah you, the need for them increases gradually over time, but when you actually pick up the cost is much more jarring. So matching that demand to when you actually have to pay for the people is really tough to where I don't know any business that does it perfectly. I think you're either 
sort of chasing your tail to where you're like, man, I really need more help. Should have done this earlier. Or you've got staff members that if they're not twiddling their thumbs, they're definitely not being utilized the way that they will hopefully be in six, 12 months. Well, that, that's, that, that's our biggest problem is uh, when we bring someone on the conversation that we always have is, you know, either how long until they are producing legitimate revenue or if they're not producing revenue at all, the conversation always turns to, well, do we really need them? <laughs> well, right. yes, we do, we do really need them because there are certain things that we shouldn't be getting tied down with, and, and we are. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely tough. But the, the one thing that's always helped us, uh, you know, as we've started to grow, and we're, we're by, by no stretch a, a huge organization, but the fact that we've always been very cash-heavy has made hiring, mm-hmm. uh, you know, more more of a more of a uh, an experiment that we can stomach when you know when right. it doesn't work out yeah when you got that buffer it's a lot easier to to deal with the failures if they do pop up versus yeah. if you're you got a shoestring budget everything has to go right oh dude if, if i if i was if i was running a, a local grocery store and it was a matter of bringing on that next person to make sure that the the the, the, the shelves were stocked and you know, that, you know, or that the, the, we had enough people on register to handle the, the crowd in the store or whatever, dude, I'd be flying by the seat of my pants. I'm very, I'm, I'm very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool, man. Well, I know we're running a little bit short on time. I don't want to take up too much of your day. So fourth question, this is the bigger one usually that we ask people is in a couple minutes, give us a tip that you think that every online business owner should know. Uh, you know what? I don't even remember, uh, I know you, you prepped me with this question ahead of time, and I don't even remember what answer I gave for this one. I'm going to totally switch gears. I'm going to throw okay. it out the window. Uh, I can't stress enough the importance of having an audience, an mm-hmm. actively engaged and interested audience on social media. So, you know, you go back to the 80s and 90s, and if you were a part of something, you were a part of a club or an organization or you, follow, you, you followed someone or whatever, you might be part of their fan club, right? You get a letter from them every once in a while. You might get a tchotchke or two from them over the course of the year. Uh, you, might, you might be kept abreast of a new book they've got coming out or a new program, new, the new CD collection you could order from them. And then that kind of evolved into the email list in, in the 90s and early 2000s or whatever. I look, at, I look at audience management or audience building today on social media, whether it be owning a online community or an online forum or an online group or whatever, I look at that as being for a small business owner in particular, ridiculously integral to being able to, uh, you know, really grow and scale. And uh, the reason I believe that is, is this. So we were relatively blue ocean with pretty much everything that we've started. Almost everything that we've started, we've had competitors pop up very, very quickly. I'm talking like with, with, with some businesses, so some businesses that we've started within like two or three weeks, there have been pop-up businesses trying to compete with ours. Others call it within like, you know, three to six months or whatever. And they all fall flat on their face. And some of them are actually decent businesses from what I've been able to put together. They all fall flat on their face because none of them give any kind of real legitimate credence to the need of having a large amount of people out there that know, like, and trust you, a large amount of people out there that are willing to refer you, a large amount of people out there that when your name gets brought up or you're not, are going to sing your praises and back you up. So, you know, I, I look at one of the main drivers of our success, and it's actually our number one marketing objective, our number one marketing goal above growing any of our companies our number one marketing objective is grow the audience, grow the audience, grow the audience. Let more people in. Let, I don't care who buys today. Let them get to know us. And once they, once they get to know us, that no like and trust factor takes over and makes sales easy. Actually, to the point where part of why we've been able to run so lean and mean, like I mentioned, I've got a team of four people. We don't even have a salesperson. If you come to me and say, hey, I just wanted to know if... You know, you could tell me a little bit about blah, blah, blah. My answer to you is if you've got to come to me and ask questions, then you don't know enough about me or my services yet. Come back to me when you're ready to buy. 
Yeah. And I'm very fortunate to, have, to be in that position because I've got an audience right now that if my marketing program gets brought up, you know, hey, has anyone tried CAC? Does it really generate leads? I don't got to say dickety-do because I got 47 people saying, buy it, dummy, buy it. Yeah. So it's, you know, that audience is so powerful. So, so certain people just ignore that. They don't understand the value of an audience, so they don't even try. There are tons of people, especially online, where they're trying to build an audience and failing miserably at it. So what do you think, and again, this is one of these questions that can be so broad and general that it's probably a bad question, but what do you think part of the secret sauce in that is? What do you think at least one of the differentiating factors has been for y'all that you've been able to do it so successfully? Oh, it's simple. It's, it's, it's black okay. and white. And anyone who doesn't know the answer to this doesn't know because they're not doing it. You have to give a shit about the people you're trying to help. Yeah. It can't be about you. It can't be mm -hmm. about what you want. It can't be about what you're trying to sell. It's you have to genuinely care for your, for your audience. You have to genuinely want to solve their problems. You have to genuinely give a shit when they come to you with a problem. You know, I, I personally, uh, you know, like I mentioned a little bit earlier on, on, on this, uh, on this podcast, you know, I, I was fortunate to, to be able to spend a little bit of time with Gary V down in Miami. Mm -hmm. And prior to him inviting us down to his conference, I didn't really follow him all that much. It was the type of thing where if one of his videos went by on my newsfeed and it had a lot of traction on it, I might look at it, but he's just so everywhere that like, right. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not stopping to watch Gary V again. I got to get some work done. Yeah. But one of the things that he's a big proponent of and that I've always been a big proponent of unbeknownst that we had a, a similar ideology on this is the, the, the need to care. Like if you don't care, especially in the transparent world that we're in right now, it's going to come out. Like you can't, you can't pretend to care anymore. You can't, you're good. You're like pretty much every conversation that you're having with someone online is documented. If you're a dick to someone, it's going to be shared in every corner of the internet within seconds. You know, like you can't, you can't fake caring in, in today's world. And I think that is the biggest problem. I think most people that feel as if, you know, oh, I'm going to start a group or I'm going to build an audience or whatever. You see, you see it over and over and over again. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I can't speak to, to your world. I know you're kind of a little bit in the digital world and you're in the accounting world and all that. But how many times have you just been like, you're in this group now? Right. Okay. I guess I'm here now. Let me look around now that I've just been parachuted into this, you know, dimension and see what's going on in here. Ah, somebody else selling me their shit. Like, we lead with value and what our audience wants and needs above and beyond everything else. Do we have offers out there? Of course we do. But we didn't even actually start putting offers out to our audience until we were a solid four or five months in of just giving them value day in, day out, day in, day out. So, yeah, and I think that's where people we'll get it backwards a little bit because yeah, you start a group, you start a page, you start something, your end goal. And a lot, we're not doing this for purely altruistic reasons. Of course. Ultimately we're, we're trying to make money, but I think they, there's almost a, either they don't have enough confidence in what they're able to do on a paid offer where they feel like, Oh, if I give too, if I give value, that's just cannibalizing what I want to sell them later. And they don't have, um, enough of a, a positive ego and what they can provide that if what you're given on the front end is going to hurt your, your paid offer, you might not need to have a paid offer if it's that shallow. But I think people that they don't necessarily lead with the value for, for different reasons. But yeah, like you said, it's sort of, it's a backwards way of doing it to where it's starting with, I'm going to do this group for me and I might give them some really piddly breadcrumbs to make it seem like I'm giving value, but it's transparent that that's what you're doing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Sweet, man. So last question, it's either one of two things. It's what's the craziest tactic you've seen to sell something online or what's the craziest thing you've seen sold online? The craziest tactic I've seen to sell anything online I've had some pretty shady stuff done to me by competitors to try okay. and sell their stuff. 
No, go with that. So, um, so we actually, we actually have, uh, we actually have had some people that took a video that, uh, that we had, that we had shot at one point. So, uh, at one point, this is going back a number of years, uh, a couple of me, my business partner and uh, an old business partner, we were on a Google hangout and unbeknownst to us, the Google hangout was publishing live to YouTube. And we thought we were just having a private conversation. And we talked about a number of different things on that, uh, on that thing. We talked about smoking weed. We talked about one of our businesses that was going through a, uh, a pretty dramatic uh, beat down at that point. We talked about a couple of other things. Nothing, nothing particularly overly, uh, Sorted. overly scandalous, it, but yeah. it, was, it, was, it was dudes talking like dudes. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, uh, we didn't realize that this was recording and publishing. We thought it was just uh, like, kind of like what you and I are doing right now. And yeah. one of our competitors caught uh, caught the caught the the video, chopped it up to make it look way worse than it actually was, republished it, and anytime our name got brought up anywhere, he would gotcha. post a link to that video with a you know with a oh you know don't work with those guys we'll we'll take care of you here's our link type of thing, yeah. so yeah. that is probably the craziest thing that we've ever dealt with as far as competition and the way they tried to sell stuff online. Um, I really like a lot of the stuff that the Harmon brothers do a lot of the ads that they get behind like the squatty potty and mm -hmm. uh, you know the, the the ads that are the, the what's the name of that other one uh, the purple mattress did one with uh, with Harmon brothers I really like I really like their yeah, stuff they're sharp, very yeah, they're, sharp they're, they're very sharp they go places with their marketing and advertising that most other uh, most other marketers wouldn't just because it, they're talking about topics and using language that most wouldn't think would be okay with the general public. But I found that the general public loves when you behave just like them. So uh, I, I have an appreciation for what the Harmon brothers do on, on the marketing front. Well, it's unusual and it's also authentic, which goes to you know what you were saying earlier is – I feel like so much advertising, especially if you go to like local low grade advertising is it's just, it, it's a, almost a meme. It's just this like corny canned, the most generic and ge supposedly generally appealing thing you could possibly publish. But because of that, it doesn't really have a true appeal to anybody at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's funny because one of the reasons that you know, we've been as successful as we've been on, uh, on, on our front is because 99.9% .9 of the marketing that's being done by the insurance companies, by the carriers in my industry is the exact same thing. It's plain mm -hmm. Jane, it's generic, it's boring. Uh, you know, there's no call to action. There's no real offer. There's like, oh. there. It's, it's speaking to literally anybody and everybody, which means nobody's listening. And the reason that we've been, you know, fortunate to have the success that we have is because we've been outside the box. We're crazy. We're, you know, we're mm -hmm. fun. We're, we're willing to, you know, put some offers out there that maybe others won't. And, uh, and, and that's the reason why our clients have been as successful as they've been and why ultimately we've gotten the, the, the praise that we've gotten from, uh, you know, within the industry. So I do believe that there is a lot to be said for that generic vanilla marketing that goes absolutely nowhere. And, you know, I, I encourage these big companies to continue to do that because it's going to continue to give right. me a nice lucrative career. Well, I think about, and I'm sure these other agencies do it, but I think about State Farm, I think because of the red to where when you see a State Farm billboard, the agent who's there is just, it's just a head. It's, they could swap. It is so generic and interchangeable that I don't even remember who the agent is usually because it's just, they just put a new guy in there right there, make sure that they're wearing a red tie or if it's a girl, she's wearing a red top or sweater or something. And then it's like, Oh, you're not an agent anymore. Let me just throw this other guy exactly in your same spot to where it's so generic and interchangeable. It's, I don't see how the agents are fooled into thinking it's building them brand value. Well, you know, and, and, and that's all part of uh, that's all part of the Kool-Aid culture that I'm working so hard to uh, to knock down. So you know, the whole reason that we even came into existence was because when we were uh, when we were first starting to learn digital marketing ourselves, you know, every single major carrier out there had their own group. 
but there was no there was no there was no place online where the entire industry was coming together mm-hmm. so you know when my business partner and i who both we both worked for different carriers and we both lived in different parts of the country when we were first starting to get to know each other it was you know hey how are we both in the same industry but i've never heard of abc company and yeah. you're using xyz company that's so much better than anything i've ever heard of so we decided when we first started our group insurance soup to knock down those walls that way no matter what corner of the country you're hiding in, no matter what carry you represent, no matter what level of experience you have, you know, like we can all come together and talk about what's good, bad, ugly, and indifferent in the uh, in the industry. But getting back to your point about the uh, about the the billboards, when we get off this uh, when we get off this call, I'll I'll, I'll forward you over a uh, a billboard that that I have that is like right on point with what you just mentioned. Only the uh, the kicker of it, and I spent three grand for the uh, for the for the for the pleasure of of having this glorious billboard. Not only did it feature this face, and if you want, if you're going to use a face like like I could have gave you a prettier face because it doesn't matter what face is on it. But uh, not only did they use this face, dude, no joke, they put like like it could have been in the middle of the Amazon with the amount of like gr- like tree growth that was growing over like the front of the uh, the billboard unless you were like within eight feet of it. I actually had to call the billboard company and say, can you get someone out there to trim some of that brush back? Yeah. And, and even still, even, even with my, with my genius plan of cutting some of the brush back, I didn't get a single, I didn't get a single phone call on the billboard. <laughs> but go figure. Uh, that's hilarious, man. All right, buddy. It's been awesome talking to you. Really enjoyed like having you on here. Up, man. Good catching up. Yeah, this is great. So for anyone who is listening to this, anyone who's looking to reach out, what's your best method of contact? Yeah, so if you are an insurance agent or a team member of an insurance agency, or if you are uh, an innovator in the insurance world that may be looking to get a product to market or anything like that, you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Uh, Insurance Soup is the name of the group. You can find me. My name is Mike McCormick. Not hard to find. And uh, yeah, looking forward to any any new relationships that come out of of this. Sweet, man. We'll put those links in the description. And yeah, to everyone watching, thanks for being here again on The Few, The Proud, The Profitable, where we only talk to legit online businesses. Make sure to review this podcast, subscribe to it, and we'll catch y'all next time with more advice.